NBA on NBC. What is up, everybody? This is Jim Mylock, and you're listening to Pot of Fame, the podcast where we break down the careers of former athletes and decide whether or not she's going to call to the hall. On today's podcast, we're talking about the career and legacy of former Dallas Mavericks power forward Dirk Nowitzki. And joining us in just a moment to discuss Dirk's career and legacy is ESPN's Tim McMahon. But before we bring Tim on, Let's spend some time on Dirk, and I'm not going to try to spend too much time because if I really wanted to give you the full, full rundown of everything Dirk accomplished in his 21-year NBA career, it would take up way too much of your time. So I'm going to try to summarize his career as quickly as I can. He was a 14-time NBA All-Star. He was a 12-time All-NBA player. Only 10 other players in NBA history have at least made 12 All-NBA teams. He was the MVP of the league in 2007 when he averaged 25 points a game, nine boards and three assists on 50% shooting, 42% from three and 90% from the free throw line. He's the fifth guy ever to be part of the 50-40-90 club. Only eight have done it as of today. He got the Mavericks to the 2006 NBA championship where they lost to the Heat, but then he got them back to the championship in 2011 and they won And he was, of course, the finals MVP, averaging 26 points per game, 10 boards and two assists in that finals, shooting 98% from the free throw line. He missed one free throw. He's 45 for 46. Over his NBA career that spanned 21 seasons, okay, he played 1,522 games as fourth all time, 21 seasons all for one team, the Dallas Mavericks. That is a NBA record as well for one team. So over that whole career, averaged 21 points per game for that whole time, eight boards and two assists, shooting 47% from the field, 38% from three, and 88% from the free throw line. Think of that slash line for 21 years at seven feet tall. Yeah, 31,560 career points is what that all led to, which is six in NBA history. He had 11,489 rebounds. It's 26 in NBA history. So people said Dirk couldn't rebound. That's not entirely true. He also dished out 3,651 assists. He blocked 1,281 shots and had 1,210 career steals. Now, I don't want to make too big a deal out of this, but his free throws, he's one of the best free throw shooters of all time. He got to the line quite a bit. And we got there, he made him. He's eighth all time and made free throws with over 7,000 free throws made. And he shot 87.9% for his career from the, from the charity stripe, which is 18th all time. And then 89.2% from the line in the playoffs, which is good for 15th all time. You always like when the players elevate their game in the playoffs. So he holds a bunch of records and he's near the top on a bunch of lists. Uh, not to go into too many, but he made the most... Uh, free throws in a single playoff run in 2006 when they lost in the finals. He made 205 free throws during that playoff run. And he also holds the seventh most free throws ever made in a playoff run in 2011 when they won the finals. He made 175. So he's two of the top seven best free throw kind of performances in a playoff run. Again, not something we talk about much, but Dirk got to the line and then he made it basically nine out of 10 times every time he got there. 
He is the second highest free throw percentage in the NBA Finals. He always jacked it up when he got there, 93.1% there. He also made 26 consecutive free throws in the Finals. It's the longest streak um, in NBA history in the Finals. And then he made 82 consecutive free throws during the regular season uh, at one point of his career, which is the third longest streak of all time. So one of the best free throw shooters of all time. At the three-point line, he made the 15 most three-pointers in NBA history. I'm sure as now the three-point boom has been official for a number of years now, that will be surpassed uh, quite a bit and it'll keep falling back. But right now he's 15th with 1,982 three-pointers made. Now, before we get to Tim, I want to talk just a little bit, bo- a little bit more about Dirk in the playoffs uh, because, again, he has one championship, so he does have the ring. He does have the finals MVP, but Dirk was consistently in the playoffs and consistently put up great performances. Um, and, and Tim, I, Tim and I are going to go into a few of those, but, but just for his career, he played 145 playoff games, averaged 25 points per game, 10 boards, three assists across those 145 playoff games, shot 46% from the field, 37% from three and 89% from the free throw line. Only four players, including Dirk, have averaged 25 points per game and 10 boards per game, or at least that, right, during their career in the playoffs when they played over 100 playoff games. And it's Bob Pettit, it's Elgin Baylor, and it's Hakeem Olajuwon, and then Dirk. Let me repeat, it's Hall of Famers Bob Pettit, it's Elgin Baylor, and then it's Hakeem Olajuwon. That's the company that he keeps in the playoffs of all places, right? Where you want to see players elevate their game. Dirk did that. And again, you know, he had his great finals moments um, when he was, when he finally won in 2011, um, when he beat the Heat for the, for, you know, second time versing him the finals again, first time in 2006, he lost. And, And in that playoff run, he averaged, uh, 28 points a game, eight boards, three assists, shot 49% from the field, 46% from three, 94% from the free throw line. He was jacking up 19 shots, about three threes and nine free throws a game during this run. And when he got to the finals, beat the Heat in six games, shot 45 for 46 from the free throw line. And he, what Dirk did in that was, and you want to see this from your superstars, right? And it, it doesn't always happen because maybe they have a lot of help. Maybe they have a lot of star teammates. Dirk didn't have any superstar teammates on this team. He was There's no other all-stars on this team uh, that made the all-star game that season, right? Sean Marin's on that team, but it was near the end of his career. Jason Kidd was on that team. He was in, near the end of his career. His second best player was Jason Terry, who never made an all-star team. And then Tyson Chandler was on that team who made an all-star team later at some point of his career, but not for that specific team. So Dirk carried this team to the finals and through the finals. The Heat won game one and game three, but then Dirk made sure they tied it up 1-1 winning game two and then tied it up 2-2 game winning game four and then closed it out in game five and six. During this series, he tore his middle finger at one point in game one, kept playing, had a fever in game four, won that with a fever. No one talks about that flu game. And then even in the season, er, this the series clinching, the championship clinching game, game six, had a really rough game. I think it was like nine for 21 or something like that. But 10 fourth quarter points to put the game away in the fourth quarter and win his finals 
MVP trophy that he desired. And then if you look at some of his other, I mean, the West, when, when Dirk was in the West, think about the teams there. They're the Spurs, right? Who won four championships during this time period. Uh, five if you count 99, but really four during Dirk's time here. They, they, you had them in the West always lurking. You had a young OKC team near the end of the decade with Durant and Harden and Westbrook. You had the T-Wolves with KG during the early to mid-2000s. Who else do you have in there? I don't know. I'm blanking. There's a couple other Western powerhouse teams that were consistently... Oh, the Suns. Oh, my gosh. How did I forget the Suns? Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, Sean Marion. You're running into a lot of shit, let's just say, in that Western Conference Finals or in in those Western Conference playoffs just to get to the finals, and he got his teams there twice. So Dirk... Again, one of the better playoff performers we've ever seen. One of the better, you know, playoff runs in that 2011 run we've ever seen. And honestly, his 2006 run, even though they didn't win the championship, go look up those numbers off the charts. So Dirk's getting a legacy pod here. He, he'll get in the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, he's a finalist right now. He will headline a group. That includes Dwayne Wade, who was his nemesis in the 2006 and 2011 finals, as well as other foreign players, Paul Gasol and Tony Parker. So it's really fun that three of the four, most likely, again, we don't know for certain, but three of the four uh, players from this will be international players with Dirk leading the charge there is the best of them. And then Greg Popovich is also going to get in. So just a lot of history that all kind of, you know, collides with Dirk, whether it be international players colliding with Dirk, Wade. Um, Clang with Dirk or Dallas was battling out with those Spurs teams all the time. Uh, and again, both teams in Texas, all of them have to do with Dirk, which is kind of a fun class. So again, there will be no debating really if Dirk's in the Hall of Fame. It's more debating Dirk's history and legacy when we're talking about him among the all-time greats because he is an all-time great. So we have a great show for you today. Tim um, is an excellent guest. So with the, I don't even know if I can call him quick facts today, the the facts out of the way today. Let's bring on Tim. All right. So I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, ESPN's Tim McMahon. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I am doing well. Um, so today, the topic of a conversation is the great Dirk Nowinski. And, and Dirk is up for the Hall of Fame class of 2023. He was just name a finalist, but again, we, we all know what the outcome is here. Not only will he, of course, be in the Hall of Fame, but he is a headliner for this Hall mm-hmm. of Fame class that is going to feature Dwayne Wade, Tony Parker, Pogasol, Popovich. I mean, this is a star-studded cast of characters, and, and Dirk's right there at the very top of this list. And Tim, today we're going to talk about Dirk's career, his, his candidacy, and really his legacy, what he left after getting out of the NBA so Tim, the first thing I'm going to ask you here at the top is, I'm sure you're in Dallas. Dirk gets brought up all the time still, even though he retired a long time ago. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear his name? You know, I, I think the first thing that uh, that I think of with Dirk is just a guy who changed the game of basketball. I mean, when Dirk came into the league, the idea of a, a seven-footer playing on the perimeter, uh, much less being a, a three-point shooter, was – just considered outlandish, you know, getting the post. Um, and obviously he, he changed the way that basketball is played. He changed the way the basketball is thought about. 
Um, and then what's funny is, you know, later on in his career, kind of the second half of his career, he did become a guy who did a lot of damage in the post. And then he revolutionized that, right, with the uh, the, the one-legged fadeaway. You know, that became um, something that, as uh, you know, you look around the league now and you see all kinds of stars that have incorporated that one-legger into their game. And then obviously you, you have to think of, uh, the the durability, the the longevity, and the loyalty. We we have never before seen one player spend a you know play twenty one seasons uh, for one team. I'm not sure that we'll ever see that again. Um, and, you know, and especially a guy who didn't you know he didn't get to the top of the NBA mountain in terms of winning a title until he was into his thirties. You know, the Damian Lillard is, is I guess, the, the best example uh, in today's NBA of a guy who has been loyal despite ultimately not winning a championship to this point of his career. But those guys are few and far between. Uh, and, you know, Dirk finally did uh, get to that championship level, you know, in his second swing in the finals. And that kind of eliminated any yeah buts from his legacy, right? You couldn't say anything else about Dirk at that point. And it's funny, it took until that championship for people to stop this stupid uh, soft Euro stereotype. You didn't hear any soft Euro stereotype after he was the lone all-star on a team that, you know, ran through Kobe's Lakers. uh, That were the two-time defending champs. Ran through, you know, the super team everybody expected to, to, to form in Oklahoma City. Ran through the super team that eventually did materialize with the Miami Heat and kind of delayed their coronation for a year. That was the end of the soft hero stereotype. Yeah. And I, and I think that was, at least when I was growing up, that is what I, I thought of Dirk in, until that end. He was thought of as soft and unfairly because of 2003, uh, I think he's kept out of the Western conference finals. He hurts himself. I think that's made a decision that kind of carried with him. 2006 again, makes it to the finals. They lose to the heat, but then redeems himself in 2011 with I would say that whole playoff run, one of the better playoff runs an individual's had, mm. I, I would say in NBA history, and, and even you brought up the finals, of course, and he wins the finals MVP. But I always think back to, Tim, that the Western Conference finals against OKC, and I'll never forget that 48-point performance on only mm. 15 shots, no threes, 24 for 24 from the free throw line. Um, again, free throw, you know, high free throw percentages, not the sexiest thing to talk about when we're talking about all-time greats, but Dirk at his size and the ability to get to the line constantly, he was getting in the eight, nine attempts per game and then shooting almost 90% for his career. I think it gets overlooked and especially in the playoffs, he's a number of records of consecutive free throws made in the finals, consecutive free throws made in the playoffs. I think it's overlooked, but his ability to score from the three-point land inside the arc and then as well, at the line, he did it at all three stages and was one of the most efficient scorers in NBA history. Yeah, and, and look, you don't get 24 free throws in a game unless they can't guard you. And the Thunder had, you know, they had Serge Ibaka, who yeah. at the time was, was young and certainly one of the best uh, interior defenders in the league. They had Nick Collison, who made a long career out of being able to do, to do dirty work. They had Kendrick Perkins, who, no disrespect, my ESPN colleague, but had no hope in hell of staying in front of Dirk. And, you know, obviously Dirk came in the league and you think of him as the first seven footer who just 
was bombing away from three-point range. But I mentioned the evolution of his post game that really came after that that 2006 finals um, when that, you know, kind of the, the or I, I would say that came after the 07 uh, when the We Believe Warriors knocked out the one seed mm. Mavericks. And that was on the heels of those finals. So the two biggest playoff failures in Dirk's career back-to-back and, you know, he, he got in the lab with Holger Geschwinder, his longtime mentor, kind of the mad professor. And, and they came up with, you know, they, they worked on his post game. But the other thing, uh, Dirk throughout his prime was an unstoppable ISO force. Like you could run pick and pop with him and, and he like the space he created for other guys, not to mention the efficiency he had knocking down shots was hard to deal with. But the Mavericks ran a ton of plays to get Dirk the ball you know, free throw line, uh, face up and just go to work. And he would just wear guys out with that. And, you know, they, a lot of teams would have to try to send doubles at him. And then, you know, that started, he, he wasn't, you know, look, he wasn't a, a phenomenal passer in terms of vision, but he was a guy who he would always make the right pass and more of a hockey assist guy than a playmaker. Um, but again, you, you don't think of a, a seven foot, I don't want to say unathletic because I do think his athleticism was early Dirk for, for sure. Yes. Right. Late, late Dirk. He admits he was, freaking, yeah. he was a mummy, but like seven foot fluid athleticism, but not explosive. Right. Um, but you just don't think of a guy like that. as like this phenomenal ISO player, but the numbers speak for themselves. And trust me, a lot of those buckets that he had, climbing his way to six on the all-time scoring list or carving guys up in one-on-one situations or even scoring over the help. Yeah. So, Tim, I do want to move to our next segment. We call this That Memorable Moment. And we've already covered a, a few of, you know, the top things. I think when you're thinking of Dirk, if you said, you know, what is this guy's Hall of Fame moment? Of course, it's going to be when he captured – the NBA championship, the thing that was elusive, the one thing that they were holding against him, mm. like they do the Barclays, the Malones, the, the people, KG for a while until he went to Boston. That was hovering over his head. He got that. And then from there, it was gravy. So we kind of already talked about that, but is there another moment in Dirk's career, whether it be a playoff moment, a specific game, a playoff series that really stands out in Dirk's career is that's one of the all-time greats. This is why Dirk is that great. Yeah, if if we're wiping the 2011 championship run and 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 the game winners, you know, multiple game winners that he hit during those finals, uh, out of consideration, then I would go with a, a moment that I think has has sort of been forgot about, um, and that's it was the uh, it was the West semifinals, but it was Mavs versus Spurs in yep. San Antonio Game Seven, and this is one of those I mean, back then, if you remember, because of the division stuff the top two teams could be the one and, and four seeds, right? And meet in the second round. And San Antonio obviously was just the mountain in the Mavericks way. And, you know, so Dirk uh, going going one-on-one, beating his man, Manu Ginobili coming over. And Manu was a great decision maker. This wasn't one of the best decisions in his career. Fouling Dirk as Dirk laid it in for the, for the overtime forcing and won. And, that was a game where the Mavericks ended up winning in overtime again on the road in San Antonio against uh, the dynasty Spurs. Dirk had 37 and 15. And look, there were, there were, we mentioned a couple of significant playoff failures after that, but like 
if you watched that series and you thought that like Dirk couldn't perform in the playoffs, you you weren't you weren't considering what you're seeing. You weren't even looking at, at you know the facts that the stats, all those kind of things. You were just being influenced by perception. And even before the championship run, I mean, Dirk was a career 25.10 rebound playoff guy. And I forget the numbers off the top or the names off the top of my head, but at the time he was one of four and they were like, you know, four dudes. You're like, okay, that's a, that's a good, that's a hell of a group uh, to be a part of. But again, I go back to that, that OT force and and one game seven in San Antonio. That was one of the, one of the signature moments is career for sure. Yeah. And that, and that whole run, honestly, other than the finals, which again is going to overshadow everything that whole run in 2006. I mean, in that uh, semifinals, you're talking about again, winning a game seven in San Antonio when the Spurs are in the midst of, you know, you, you can call it a dynasty or not, but they dominate throughout the two thousands into the mm-hmm. early 2010s. He averages 27 points a game, 13 boards in that series against the Spurs. Then the next round against Phoenix, Phoenix's old buddy, Steve Nash, he goes 28 points a game, 13 boards, shoots 50% from three. Um, you know, and then he gets in the finals. He, he, he struggles after the first couple wins there. But still across that board throughout the finals, this guy, as you're saying, he's in the double-digit rebounds. And Tim, that's not something I want to ask you because, you know, we're not going to cover too much negatives about Dirk today because, again, he, he's an all-time great. There's no debate if he should be in the Hall mm-hmm. of Fame. But two things that are going to be knocked on him at times, or I've heard people knock him at times, is, you know, his defense wasn't the best, which I think is a fair statement. I don't think he was an all-time defender, and especially when you compare him to the contemporaries like Duncan and KGs, right. nowhere near them. But then I hear a lot of people, and I think this goes into that softness notion that people said for a long time about Dirk is, you know, he's not that good of a rebounder. And yes, he was never leading the league in rebounding, but this is a guy who had over 12,000 career boards, but more importantly in the playoffs, he was averaging well into double digits in these 12, 13 boards per game in these main playoff series where you are banging down low. And I just don't see it as much. Why, why the knock on rebounding at times, if you've heard that as well, because I have, but it seems like, especially the playoff numbers kind of go against that argument. Yeah, and, and and again, that I think a lot of that goes back into the perception that he was a quote unquote soft euro, um, and he never he never had a double figure uh, rebounding average yeah. for an entire season. You know, he was up there. I think one year it was nine point nine. Um, he wasn't much of an offensive rebounder. Now, <laughs> that that's in large part because a lot of the times when his teammates were taking shots, or you know, they were they were. He was spacing the floor. It was pick and pop. And I talked about the space. Like every time a, a guy would come to Dallas who ran pick and pop with Dirk, they're like, I can't believe how much space I have to work with. You, you don't see pick and pop guys um, th- that are going to put up big offensive rebounding numbers. He was always a very solid defensive rebounder. And, you know, but again, when you're, when you're being compared to KG and you're being compared to Duncan, those guys uh, were prolific rebounders on both ends. You know, you mentioned that one particular series against Duncan, you know, the, the one time that he faced Kevin Garnett in a playoff series, uh, Dirk averaged 33 points and 17 rebounds and the Mavericks swept the Timberwolves. So pretty impressive performance from a soft Euro against when, you know, an, an all-time legend power forward, you know, one of the, yeah. where nobody's questioned Kevin Garnett's toughness and Dirk averaged 33 and 17 and swept them. So uh, he must've been doing something pretty well. No, most certainly. So Tim, I want to move to our next segment here. We call this and twins. Ah! 
try to do here is look at the hall of fame today see who's already in it and then say you know who who's the closest to being dirk's twin either by accolades and the style of play and you know i was taking a look at this because i usually try to jot down a name and see how it compares mm -hmm. to my guest and as you said the kind of top here in the future there's going to be people i think in the hall of fame right. we can compare to dirk but he was kind of the first of his kind as you said yes. outside shooting big so i have a name down it's kind of off it makes sense, but it's not for how he played. Who would you say, though, is the closest to being Dirk's twin, even though this is a kind of tough question? Because he was, I would say, one of the first unicorns that gets thrown around a lot today, but one of the first unicorns we ever really saw, a seven-footer that could shoot threes. So I, I had similar struggles. He is, I'm not going to say he's one of one, but he was. he's the first of several to come, right? Yeah. Um, but there's not that seven-foot finesse player in the uh in the hall of fame and until dirt gets in there and and i don't i seven foot skill if you want to if you finesse kind of sounds it's used as an insult i don't mean as an insult but you know that that sure. seven foot guy who dominates games with uh with skill with shooting um you know with smarts i do think dirk was a, you know when you talk about defense i think dirk was a solid team defender who obviously if you got him out in space was, was going to have uh his problems he is on a, a a list of it's it's less than 30 of uh guys who have both a thousand blocks and a thousand steals yep but you know i couldn't come up with a guy who's in the hall of fame early in his career um there were a lot of larry bird comparisons i think that's lazy for, for pretty obvious reasons um you know a, a guy who is of pale complexion and can shoot really well, <laughs> but uh, you know, bird there, there was, their games aren't that similar to be honest with you, other than the fact sure. that they, they, they could both really shoot the ball. Um, I, I couldn't come up with one who's already in the hall of fame who I felt was not just a twin, but he, even like a cousin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you know, Larry bird, I, I could go with the second cousin thing just from the standpoint, right. Of the, they were all both part of the, the 50, 40, 90 club, right? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, Dirk was the fifth member of that club bird. Um, I believe was the first off the top of my head. Um, I think there's only seven today still. So it's super rare. And honestly, the crazy thing about Dirk, right? If you look at his entire career, he was only a couple percentage points off of being a 50, 40, 90 for his career. And over a 10 year stretch, he basically did it, which yeah. is just, again, one of the best scores of all time. The one I have down Tim again, nothing really in style of play whatsoever but it was one of his contemporaries and someone who also played for one team his whole career okay. and played 19 years and that's timmy duncan right like tim yeah. duncan is the spurs dirk is the mavs uh, obviously duncan completely different skill set um but but a big man who only played for one team which again kobe dirk and in and, and uh duncan they're probably the last of that breed other than as you mentioned dame earlier and then hopefully for Maz fans, Luca. But again, in today's game, we, we that probably won't happen. But that's all that's all I came up with. Because again, in the future, there will be other big men shooters we can compare to Dirk. Right. But there he's the first of his kind, really. He really is. And he's set now a standard where this is kind of what you expect from your big men. You expect them to be able to shoot. And that was something I think younger listeners, you're not going to believe this, but before Dirk came around, 
that was just that was not a thing. There there was a few big guys like a Bill Lambeer who would maybe shoot a three a game, right. but there was no one stretching the floor like Dirk. I mean, early in Dirk's career, some considered it a sign of weakness that uh, that when he bang was, down uh, low. Yeah, wouldn't you know that that whole thing? Well, why why is he jacking up a bunch of threes? You know, seven footers should play in the post. I, I remember talking to Holger, and this was somewhere in the in the middle range of, of his career. And you know, Holger's always been like he's just got all kinds of ideas, and he's kind of a basketball revolutionary. And he was saying that the time is coming to where if you can't shoot, you can't play. Right. If you can't, if you can't shoot the three, you're not going to be able to get on the floor. And it hasn't quite gotten to that point, but it's not too far away. I mean, basically, you've got to be a really special rim protector, rim runner, rebounder type of guy to be a, a starting five in today's life. I mean, think about it. Forget stretch fours. Now, if you're a five who can't shoot the three, it's considered a weakness in a lot of cases. And so, again, I, I just think Dirk, Duncan obviously had the greater career. No sure. question about that. You stack up sure. rings, you stack up the all-defensive honors, you know, all those sorts of things. They were definitely, those two were contemporaries, rivals, all those kind of things. Dirk, I think, had a bigger impact on the game of basketball than anybody in that generation. Yeah, and, and I think that's a, a very fair statement to say, um, and yeah, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with with you or me that Duncan was the better player than Dirk, but changing the game as well as play. I mean, a lot of people like to revert back to Curry. They say he changed the game because he started firing up all the threes. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the way, again, Dirk is like the pioneer almost of where we got to of positionless basketball. He was the first, again, as you said before, Dirk, look at every other power forward that came in the league. They they played more like, like a Timmy Duncan. They were down low. They were back to the basket. They were rebounding. Um, and and they were, there were some good scores, but really the centers were the guys they were going to most of the time. The power forwards, the Oakleys, the Otis Thorpes of the world, they were doing right. a lot of dirty work. Uh, Dirk obviously became an alpha of a team. The best scorer in the league, um, and again, over 30,000 career points, not many people can say that, and that is what he did. Tim, I want to get to our final segment here. We call this court. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. And the name's going to be very misleading today because usually what I do here is I debate with my guest mm -hmm. on whether someone should be in the Hall of Fame. There, again, there is no debate here. There is no debate whatsoever. So what I want to do here instead, reuse this, repurpose, is talk about Dirk's legacy. Because when I started making lists that Dirk could be on, he was kind of near the top of a lot of these lists. Like there's a silly list, best German player in history. Of, of course, Detlef Schripp, I'm sorry. Dirk, you're number yeah. one there. Best European NBA player in history. I don't think there's competition yet. Obviously, there's a it's lot coming. of European <laughs> talent in the league right now. Jokic, Doncic, um, uh, I'm definitely, oh, Giannis. Those guys, by the end of their career, I don't want to say they can't surpass Dirk because they are all some of the top talent in the league today, but still from a longevity standpoint, from a career number standpoint, you know, Dirk really set the bar high. So I'm still giving him top Euro player of all time in the NBA. Mm -hmm. But again, Tim, talking 20 years, that could change. But right. for now, I, yes. I would say best best career by career. in the NBA. Okay. And career. I think the three guys that you named, 
uh, all have a, a chance to eclipse that. And two of them, at least arguably three, I would say are, are more talented. That's, I think that's a very fair, I think their peaks right now are something Dirk, I would say probably never achieved at in terms of a peak. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, when we're talking Dirk didn't achieve their peak, look at Giannis, look at Jokic. I mean, those they're, they're putting together some all-time seasons right here. And Giannis put together one of the best finals kind of, I guess, performances we've ever seen. Right. But right now, international career, we're gifted Dirk still. Okay, so this is where it gets interesting. And I'm more curious than anything to hear your opinion here. So, so <laughs> I'm going to be careful. Luca is a very young man in this league. But I'm 33, Tim, and he's one of the best players from a talent perspective I, I have ever seen in yeah. terms of his ability on the basketball court. He is well on his way to making his fourth All-NBA team already before the age of 25. And, you know, Dirk only made full, four All-NBA teams over the course of his entire career. He hasn't won anything yet. Talent-wise, though, amazing. Now, we don't know how long he'll stay in Dallas for. But if you had to put your money on it, Tim... And in 15 years, I called you back up and I said, Tim, could you, we had that conversation. Who are we looking back at 15 years from now? Who had the better Mavs career? Was it Luca or was it Dirk? So that, that's where it gets tricky. Because if you say who had the better career, I, I honestly, and look, I've spent the last 20 some odd minutes raving about Dirk. So certainly no disrespect, but Luca is a significantly more talented player. Uh, I don't know that Luca is going to score more points, but I think he's going to have the better overall career. He can dominate games in ways that that Dirk couldn't. You know, he's he's the primary playmaker. He doesn't need a, a point guard to get him the ball. He gets himself the ball, then gets everybody else the ball. But the the whole Mavericks thing is where it gets complicated because look, we don't know how long Luca is going to be in Dallas. Frankly, Luca doesn't know how long he's going to be in Dallas. You know, they just made a trade for Kyrie Irving to to pair him with another superstar that it might be one of the most expensive rentals in NBA history, or maybe it's a it's a partnership that, you know, lasts for three, four, five years beyond this one. How that plays out very well could determine potentially how long Lucas' career in Dallas ends up. So I guess it's a it's a a long roundabout way of saying, I think the odds are that Dirk is going to end up having the better career as a Maverick simply because um, you know, the way today's NBA is, I, I think the the odds are the, the, the Mavs are fighting an uphill battle to keep Luca into his prime, much less throughout it. Uh, 21 years, look, Lucas told us 21 years after his career starts, he's going to be on a farm that he doesn't even know yet, Slovenia. He's not trying to play that long, but I'm saying, let's say Luca has a 15, 16, 17 year NBA career. Is he going to spend the bulk of that in Dallas? The Mavs have their work cut out for them. And they've, and I think they've got to have some, some, some luck go their way for that to happen. Um, simply because I, I, you're not going to get the same kind of blind loyalty out of Luca, I don't, I don't think that you did from Dirk. I don't think Luca's is going to be willing to wait until he's into his thirties to, to finally win a championship because he came to the league as a champion. It's funny. Luca's 23 years old now. I think if he never played another game, he'd be a hall of famer simply because it is the basketball hall of fame. 
right? So winning Eurobasket for Slovenia as an 18-year-old matters. Winning, you know, a, a Spanish league and Euroleague championship for Real Madrid as a teenager, you know, all these things are considered. And they're also considering, hey, Luca arrived in the NBA as a guy who had won championships at, at the highest levels you could outside of the NBA. And I just don't think he's going to have that same type of patience if the Mavericks aren't able to put together a championship caliber team around him uh, in, in, the, in the pretty near future. Yeah, and and I agree with your statement. If Luca were retired at the end of the season, he 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 would make the Hall of Fame. As crazy as it sounds, because he's not even twenty four years old yet. Um, internationally, you already kind of threw out what he's mm-hmm. accomplished there. And then, as I said earlier, he's going to make his fourth All NBA first team this year. Any NBA player in history with at least three All NBA first teams is in the Hall of Fame today. Um, he's accomplished a lot in a short period of time. And I wouldn't doubt if for some reason he decided to, which he won't, but if he did, he, he, he could. So my final question before I get you out of here, because we've talked about, of course, he's the top German player. He probably will be for the rest of the time. Rest, You and I are way gone. The earth's gone by the time a German player comes along better than Dirk. I don't think we're worried about that. Germany Franz Wagner is going to have something to say about that. <laughs> Germany, I do like Franz, but he ain't in that Ger- class. Yeah, Germany is not the biggest hopper, but you're right. Franz is very good coming out. He, he can give Detlef a run for his money as well for second. We talked about European uh, basketball players. Right now he's at the top, but there's a lot of people coming for him. But then I just go to power forwards in general, right? Dirk, mm-hmm. Dirk's one of the best power forwards of all time. I put a... I put a poll out on Twitter yesterday, uh, best power forward of all time after Tim Duncan. And then people came after me and said, Tim Duncan's a center, not a power forward. And I totally get that. But for this argument, let's say Tim Duncan's number one at power forward. But I struggled, Tim, with two. Um, I put out a vote. I put some names out. Dirk finished actually in second, in second under Tim Duncan. Garnett followed right behind him. Malone followed right behind him. Then Barkley followed right behind him. I honestly would have KG just because of his all-around play ahead of Dirk, Dirk in third, and then I'd probably go Malone Barkley like that with Giannis honestly about to crash into that. Where do you think Dirk fits today in terms of the best power forwards of all time? Yeah, I I think you've got the guys – in the in the you've got the right group there, and and then you're just debating preferences. You know, are you debating, uh, and and essentially with, uh, you know, with, with Malone and Dirk, it's it's more of a, you know just scoring dominance. Um, you know, KG is is more of the all around game, the defensive impact. Um, and, and KG was a was a hell of an offensive player, but not not that same sort uh, of impact. Um, you know, I, I think Barkley was a hell of a player, a hell of an offensive player in particular. I, I, I do think he's just a notch below uh, the rest of that group. Obviously, the whole rings argument is, is not necessarily fair because there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, I will say that, you know, if, if you want to give Dirk the nod over that group is that he did win a ring. And he didn't win a ring on a super team. He, he wasn't playing oh. with Paul Pierce and Ray Allen, mm-hmm. you know, and and. You, know, you can say, well, he had Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd was towards the end of his career, a great role player at that point, but he was a role player. Same with Sean Marion, who, by the way, if you talk about a guy who I think has a Hall of Fame case 
that I don't know if he's getting very strong consideration, you know, Sean Marion, we could have a discussion there. Um, so I, I would give Dirk the nod in that group, but certainly I would acknowledge it, that uh, there are arguments for the other guys. Yeah. No, and then again, people are going to bring up people from way back when, like Bob Pettit. But Bob Pettit, if he saw Dirk Nowinski on a, on, a, on a court, I think he would be a little terrified of what he could do from the offensive standpoint. So, Tim, want to thank you again for coming on the podcast, talk about Dirk again. We know Dirk will be in the Hall of Fame, um, or at least the announcement will be official by this April. So we'll be on the lookout for that. Before I get you out of here, Tim, anything you want to plug here at the end? Just uh, check out, uh, check us out on the ESPN, uh, the Hoop Collective, where I'm on every week with Brian Windhorst and Tim Bontemps. And I've got a little YouTube show on the ESPN's NBA channel called Howdy Partners. Everyone, make sure to go check that out. Subscribe to it. Listen, Tim, he does great work. Tim, thanks again for joining. Have a great rest of your week. All right. Appreciate you having me. All right. I want to thank Tim again for coming on the podcast to talk about Dirk. Honestly, we didn't even scratch the surface of everything. So if there's something we left off or something we didn't account for, like I promise you it was it was not on purpose. Uh, there's only so much. I mean, the guy had a 21-year career. He basically paved the way for Euro superstars. He was like the first Euro superstar in the NBA. Uh, he changed the way, as Tim and I talked about, the way power forwards and uh, big men were looked at. And we see that in today's game everywhere now. Um, I mean, Dirk is one of the most influential players the game's ever seen, one of the most important players we've ever seen. and and he deserves probably way more time than we're spending on him. But I know you all have things to do and I don't want to bore you with every detail under the sun, but I think, you know, I covered at the top, a lot of his accolades. I think Tim and I covered uh, quite a bit uh, about his career. I guess the one thing I just want to hit on a little more here at the end is kind of the conversation Tim and I were having around the best power forwards of all time. Um. And where does Dirk fit? And again, Duncan's a center. Duncan's a power forward. I'm sorry. I consider him a power forward. I do. Um, so I have Tim Duncan as the best power forward in NBA history. But then there really is this glut of people for second place for me. Uh, as I said with Tim, there's KG, there's Dirk, there's Carl Malone, there's Charles Barkley, and then I didn't mean to downplay Bob Pettit. Bob Pettit's right in that conversation too, a two-time MVP, one-time NBA champ. Um, and I guess how I look at it, because I saw my voters voted with about a thousand votes, uh, a little more people thought Dirk was better than KG and they had Carl in third and they had Charles in fourth, or I'm sorry, yes, Carl in third, Charles in fourth. How I look at those, this, like you look at KG, you look at Dirk, Bob Pettit, Carl Malone Barkley, Crazy enough, all these guys have at least one regular season MVP award. Okay, so everyone has an MVP to their name. Uh, Malone and Pettit have two. Everyone else is one. And then you look at like uh, finals championships, right? And then when you get that list, you have KG won one with Boston. Dirk, of course, won his. Bob Pettit won his. Malone and Barkley did not. They got their teams to the finals, but each of them met MJ and they lost. That's what happens when you meet Michael Jordan. And then you look at finals 
MVPs and, you know, Bob Pettit didn't have the opportunity to win a finals MVP didn't exist yet, but he would have if it existed, but Dirk did win one KG didn't, you know, Paul Pierce won it that year. Um, so, so Dirk out of those guys is only the one that technically has one. And then you look at like their all time stats, right? Counting stats, you know, Dirk's that 30,000 points only Malone gets, gets to that. You know, he's the 30,000, 10,000 rebound club. All these guys have over 10,000 rebounds. Um, but Dirk and Malone, they're with over 30,000 points. When I look at defense, you know, Carnett's really the only one that stands out. Malone was okay. Barkley and Pettit, I don't know, okay. But Garnett was one of the best defenders of all time, which gives him a little, you know, I give a little more credit to him on that front. So when it gets down to, for, for me, it really becomes between KG and Dirk. Uh, KG for his all-around game, and then Dirk for the ability to drag his team to two finals and win a finals and a finals MVP. And this is where, and fairly or not, and Garnett was one of my favorite players growing up, you know, Garnett could never get Minnesota to the finals. He tried. He tried. He gave everything he had. He was the leading score, rebounder, shot blocker, passer. He did everything he could. I would follow those T-Wolves teams and they could only make it. They made it to one Western Conference finals and they couldn't get over the hump. And then he finally, you know, got fed up with it, went to Boston, won a championship there as he deserved. Dirk, though, stuck with the Mavs. And he got them. He battled against that West that, that Garnett was facing with not a great supporting staff every time. And he got them to the finals in 2006 and they lost. And, you know, Dirk could have easily maybe demanded a trade, tried to go somewhere else to win a championship. He stuck in the, he stuck with the Mavs, even though they never really surrounded him with another superstar or anything like that. He stuck with them. And then he dragged them back to the finals in 2011 and beat a Heat team with, let me repeat, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and LeBron James. And he outplayed all three of them. He outplayed LeBron James. He outplayed Dwayne Wade. He won a championship against that juggernaut team on his own without a super team. And I just, something about that, like I want to have KG second because I think all around a better player than Dirk. Dirk's a lot, you know, offensively one of the most talented players of all time, but defensively, no. Uh, passer, not really. Garnett checked both those boxes. But Dirk's two finals appearances and one championship and a finals MVP with a team he dragged there, as opposed to Garnett being more of a force with Pierce, with Allen, there's something that really stands out to me about that. And it's something very, you know, heroic about that. And then you throw in the fact that he's over that 30,000 point mark, which few get over. And I think I give the edge to Dirk. I, I think I go Duncan, Dirk, KG. And then Pettit, Malone, Barkley, I, they can fight it amongst themselves. I think that's how I land. I want to elaborate a little further on that. And I will say, Giannis... By the time Giannis retires, he'll probably be second best power forward of all time. He, if he wins three, four rings, he could pass Duncan. Like that's how special Giannis is because Giannis has that offensive and defensive, you know, two way 
force that Duncan was, that Garnett was. He already has a finals MVP. He already, you know, took the Bucks to that championship. He already has two regular season MVPs. It's really just how long does he play? And, and does he win three, four, five championships? He's got one right now, but he'd have to win at least a few more before I consider him over Duncan. If he wins another championship and keeps playing for six, seven more years at this level or close to it, I don't see why he wouldn't be ahead of Dirk KG as the second best power forward of all time. But if he wants to be, be the best of all time, it's going to be rings, fairly or not. Um, so that is the end of today's podcast. Um, again, I want to thank our guest, Tim McMahon, for coming on. If you don't already, please subscribe to Pot of Fame at Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Pot of Fame. Follow our Substack. Uh, we rebranded it. It's called Past, Present, Future. I talk about one thing from the past, one thing going on right now, and one thing coming up. It's a pretty good concept, I think. I like the rebrand, so go check that out. Subscribe. It's free. If you've done all of those things, you've done your homework. And I will talk to you next Monday. You have a great week.